Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Tim Harvey is across town because, uh, hang on, where's the, that button? Now try it. Hello. There it is. <laughs> we are not hiding from the, from the virus, by the way. No. No, we are not. All be right. careful, be sensible. You know, wash your hands. Oh, where's the fun of that? Um, I like not being... I have enough problem with sinuses as it is. (laughs) And I've had the regular flu. It's not fun. I don't want a flu my body doesn't know how to deal with. Um, No, just be sensible. You know. know. (sighs) Go to the doctor if you need to. That sort of thing. All right. Um, no, this is, this comes down to scheduling mostly on, on, on your part this time. Yes, it is because, um... I had a stagehand job today that went a little long. It was it was one of those things where um, one of the one of the freelance opportunities to have the the freelance gigs that I have is working for the local stagehands, and they are responsible. They have the contract with all of the city municipal buildings for setting up events and sporting events and trade shows and that sort of thing. And the Big 12 tournament is in town this week. And so I got a call yesterday uh, to go in and set up the basketball court. And as we've talked about before, that's it's a fairly, fairly easy, fairly simple enough. I mean, it's physically taxing, but it's, it's you know, it's four hours of work. Sometimes it's five hours of work. We put a floor down and, we, and we're done. Eight and a half hours putting this thing together because it's an older design mm. and hence a little bit more difficult to deal with, shall we say. Uh, and so as part of that, uh, it's been one of those things where I've been playing catch up all day. Uh, did, did Salacious Crumbs live earlier at seven and it was a little bit of a mess, but I muddled through it. So now we're going to muddle through this show. That's right. Which is what we do on a regular basis. Right? Muddle is our middle name. That's right. H H M H M two O. H two M O. H H H two M O. H M O H M O. There we go. Strangely strangely appropriate in this time of health concerns. Hunt and Harvey's muddling opinion. At least it's not at least it's not meddling opinions. Well, that too. We could do that. Curse you and those meddling kids. I would have gotten away with it too. Yes. All right. I pushed a button. There's that button. I still right. maintain, folks. This is a little, a little aside plug because I was looking through my Audible catalog today. Um, if you get a chance, Edward Edgar Cantero's "Meddling Kids" is a novel and an audio book and, and a Kindle. You can find a lot of versions of it. Um, which is basically what if the 
what if uh, the Scooby-Doo gang were real kids who grew up and things went wrong and they had to come back together to solve one more case? <laughs> um, and it is so funny. And so just, I mean, it's it's really sweet and, and great friendship kind of things. And it's, right. uh, it's a very modern take on, on, a, on a relatively, you know, a silly cartoon. Um, but it's so well written. I highly recommend it. Um, and um, Kentaro, I think, has got two two books. One is the second one is This Body's Not Big Enough for Both of Us, uh, which is a very different kind of novel, but also quite good. But meddling kids, especially for genre fans. Yeah. Um, if you're if, if you are of an age as we are to remember Scooby Doo from when we were kids, it's like it's full of all those things that make you love Scooby Doo. But as an adult, you can sit there and go, "Yeah, that was ridiculous." Yeah. Well, <laughs> and there's there's the new trailer. Um, mm -hmm. I I thought very briefly about doing a trailer reaction because. One, it's Scooby-Doo. There's a talking dog, so it's obvious fantasy. It fits into our wheelhouse. Sure. Um, the whole ghost and supernatural and the spooky yuki and stuff. Um, but also the fact that this particular new film called Scoob, with an exclamation point, has an appearance by Blue Falcon and Dynamut, which those are superheroes. So that puts it even more into our wheelhouse. But then I saw the trailer. Of a kind. I saw the trailer. And my first thought was Daphne doesn't sound like that. My second thought was Velma doesn't sound like that. And my third thought was that's not Blue Falcon. <laughs> I just I, I thought wait, why hold on? I mean, if you're going to get somebody to play Velma Dinkley, then she should sound like Velma Dinkley. Yeah, I think I think the the and we've talked about you know the how we, these things get reinvented from time to time as it is, but yeah. um, there are certain characters that, especially especially if you're of the age where you grew up with them. It's really hard to separate that for 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 kids for for younger audiences. They're not going to have that yeah. same kind of connection that we are. They're not. They're not going to so, know. And they're and they're of course uh, you know in in most of the cases they're the target audience anyway. We're not the target audience. And I get that, but, but at the said, at the same time though, the target audience is the generation or two past hours and, and we're the generation that's going to be taking them to see these things right right and, so that becomes a real challenge i think yeah. that you know i mean the nostalgia factor figures into it from a sales standpoint because well it's well, it's like comic books i mean i've got a ton of comic books in totes everywhere here um eventually at some point i should probably put them into long boxes oh. but it's it's a generational thing where I can introduce you know, I've introduced my kids my kid to uh, comic books you know he's he reads comic books he's read Superman and Justice League and that kind of thing and that gets you into comic book movies and reading other things you know he, he's re he was reading Rick Riordan books for a while um, you know the Percy Jackson stuff right. and 
the stuff we enjoy, we naturally want to share that with with our friends, with our family, with our next generation. You pass those stories along. It's a right. it's a generational thing. And if I sit there and say, "Hey, look, it's Scooby Doo," well then. I want to be able to enjoy it as Scooby-Doo instead of the kid looking at me being all confused because that's that's not Scooby-Doo. Why'd they do that? You know. On the other know. hand, on the other hand, um, we did survive Scrappy-Doo. <laughs> so really, I mean, because yeah. there's, 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 well, there's also the argument to be made that that at, at a certain point you have to recognize. That the people who created those voices that we know and love from these characters in many cases have passed away not everyone of course but a lot of and to some degree there's an argument to be made that you bring in someone who can do that voice or a voice not close enough to it right but there also comes a point where you sit there and i think as a creator you can have and and i have no i i, I don't have any idea what the process what the mindset you know why they decided to choose these voices for this i have no clue right but there would come a point, I think, that in some creators' minds that, look, we can't recreate that. We can't get Casey Kasem back to voice all of these characters. We can't get these classical, you know, Mel Blanc is never coming back. Yeah. You know, you're not going to. And at some point you have to sit there and go, OK, we're just no, we're not going to try and imitate the great voice here because that voice is gone. You, you know that the, those those cartoons and those those animated bits with those with that talent is still available to us. You know, it's the whole "you've ruined my childhood." Your childhood is fine. No, no. <laughs> quit bitching about your childhood. Your childhood is okay. <laughs> Somebody else's childhood, perhaps. <laughs> well, and I think Yours from a, right. I think from a standpoint, and we can get into a little bit of that this evening. A little uh, what. What we get into with that, not necessarily my childhood is ruined, but when I enjoy a thing, let's say we call it Widget Man, all right? So Widget Man is a is a colossal success. I I have I have enjoyed Widget Man for decades and decades, and I want to introduce my kid to Widget Man, and the people that make Widget Man who've been making Widget Man for a while now want to turn Widget Man into a comedy, a parody. Uh, they don't understand what the Widget Man was all about. And so sure. my kid my kid gets a completely different kind of Widget Man that I cannot enjoy with him. Sure. Now, you could substitute any franchise for Widget Man. And oh. that's where we're that's where we are with some of this stuff as far as you know, the ruination of childhood type of thing. Yes, all of the stuff that we've enjoyed before is still there. But knowing that it's there and not to not to move forward, what's moving forward is so diametrically opposed and different from what's gone before that it kind of it doesn't ruin my enjoyment of it, but it does throw a shadow over enjoyment of certain things. If well, that I makes think sense. That really, you, you run into things. And we've talked about this with some of the the remakes where people have, uh, and again, this is actually part of our topic tonight, um, where they have, you know, 
something that has not aged well in terms of content. Um, you know, it's it in it, our 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 societal viewpoints have changed so that something that was perfectly fine thirty years ago or fifty years ago or you know, um, you know, a really ancient example, the honeymooners. You know, one of these days to the moon. You know, right. the idea that the, the punchline is, I'm going to hit my wife. You know, the, the, that's we generally frown on that sort of behavior. Um, you know, it's considered to be in you know, yeah, poor, but poor relationship behavior. It's, it's funny you should mention that one because that's actually been the subject of some conversation of late. Because uh, in a particular Spider-Man uh, comic book, um, Mary Jane makes the comment, and it's kind of out of the blue, um, because they're talking about the cost of webbing because they're married. And, you know, they're they're looking at budgets and whatnot. And Mary Jane's giving him a hard time because he's spending so much on webbing. It's like, well, I, what do you want me to do? You know, I, I got to make my webs. Or I don't have, you know, that. And at one point, he runs out of webbing because he's trying to be cost conscious because Mary Jane has, has done this. And she feels bad because, you know, it's her fault that he's out of webbing all this. But there's a there's a, 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 a particular scene where Peter says, "Baby, you're the greatest." It's not pow to the moon. He's quoting Ralph after they resolve everything at mm. the end of every episode of the show, right? And she says, "Don't quote the honeymooners to me. That show's so misogynistic." And people, I think, probably never saw that show because. Ralph Cramden was the bonehead. He oh, was yeah. the one. I mean, Alice was the smart one. Alice mm -hmm. was the one who sat there and said, okay, go do the stupid thing and then come back to me when you realize it's the stupid thing and we'll figure out what we're going to do. So for for people to sit there and say that the, that the honeymoon, as an example here, is, is misogynistic – you know, there's these people that are working in comic books now, and this kind of goes to a broader application of our topic, you know, getting getting outside of the Dan DiDio thing, where people don't understand because they haven't taken the time to understand the shows that we grew up watching and the shows that our parents grew up watching and cultural references and historical references they read about something in a book or a twitter or a tweet or a, or a facebook post or whatever and they don't have they don't have a general sense of the nuance of the thing that they well, want to criticize and i and i would agree with that and yet you could also have a show like the honeymooners where there is no evidence whatsoever that ralph Cramden ever hit his wife um or that that was ever a part of that that kind of damaging, you know, behavior right. is ever part of their relationship. Nor but, did she ever act afraid of him. Oh no, she, and, and, I mean, and she's and just like, yeah, come on, let's go, buddy. Yeah, um, which of course is also not healthy behavior <laughs> in a relationship. Just so you know. Um, but I think I think that one of the things that has not aged well, and I think that's one of the reasons why I, it's one the reason why I use the honeymooners, for example, um, is that the joke was that. Ralph was threatening to hit his wife. That's the funny bit. Right. 
and and in terms of what we know about spousal abuse and abusive relationships and all that stuff now that's not funny that you know the the joke of i'm going to hit you it's like mm, well no <laughs> we shouldn't be laughing at that uh, and and the thing is is that and that's just that's just the way culture works you deal with the fact that stuff that was you know we've talked about this before too stuff that was the cultural viewpoint of a country or a culture or you know um you know just the way that this was at this point in time it evolves over time it changes yeah. and you and to some degree you're right i think that there if you reacting to it without understanding it because it's perfectly fine to criticize that stuff but also to recognize that in its context um again you know you have a show where that was the joke but it never happened right and ralph was actually more often than not ralph was just speaking from a uh position not of power which are kind of sort of abusive relationships are power yeah and, and that was and that was i was just about to make that same point the irony is in you know the joke is in the irony that right. he does not have that kind of power to do anything to her because he knows she's right but the, the yeah, but again, it's it's certain kind of humor just doesn't age well. Yeah. I mean, you look at you know there's, uh, you know, and some of it some of it ends up being context. I mean, I I used to love, and of course here we here we are dating ourselves. We do this all the time. We date ourselves so bad. Um, you know, I grew up. My my dad, you know, showed me the the Bob Hope Bing Crosby road movies when I was yep. a kid, yep. and I loved them. And then of course as I learned about both men, it's you know it's like I'm. Just some of it's really, really funny, and both of these guys are terrible. <laughs> it's like ah, you know. And then you we've had the, again the conversation of enjoying something by people that you don't, you don't like the individual, right. you know, putting the art from the individual. So, and it becomes a thing. You know, it becomes a it becomes a, a balancing act for the in, you as an individual to figure out where your lines are. Well, and and in terms of our particular topic tonight, separating Dan DiDio from his work. At DC Comics, there are a lot of people who don't seem to be able to do that. And there are things, what happened at DC, that everybody piles on to him, rightly or wrongly. And I think there's a certain amount of shared responsibility in certain things that, that have gone on in the, in the history of DC. But uh, to set things up... Uh, Friday before last, Dan DiDio, who was co-publisher of DC Comics, was summarily fired at about 10.30 a.m. It was completely unexpected. It was day one of the Comics Pro Conference in Portland, Oregon, where uh, retailers, comic book shop owners and retailers gathered together with the publishers, and they have their... Your reading of the grievances, as it were, where they basically say, I got a lot to talk to you about, and here's the list. And, and this is the conferences and the workshops and the discussions at the retail level where the shop owners go to the publishers and say, this is what we need. This is what we would like to do. This is what we'd like to see. What kind of marketing are you going to give us? What are the books? And this. So there's a, a big discussion there. And DC was a no-show, a very unexpected no-show, and there was a lot of random 
speculating, speculating and murmuring and wondering what was going on because they were supposed to do a one-hour presentation on this whole new 5G initiative, right. which still nobody knows a whole lot about. And there were a couple of representatives from D.C. who finally showed up and did about a 12-minute thing, I think, on Saturday. And the general report of what was going on up there uh, there's a YouTuber uh, called uh, he calls himself Perch Comics with Perch and he apparently is uh, is a shop owner either in Oregon or Washington State I'm not sure he's up at that area and he was on the Thinking Critical channel and they were talking about Comics Pro <clears throat> and he said he was originally not supposed not planning to go but he got a phone call from somebody who was there said you gotta get down here and see what's going on and there was a lot of discussion. There was a lot of shell shock on Friday because Dan DiDio was a fixture. He had been at DC for so long, not just as co-publisher, but before that, editor and a vice president. I mean, he had all these different positions, a writer and, and stuff. And for him to be gone and not... We're going to put him on leave, you know, not like Diane Nelson left. You know, Diane Nelson went on vacation and then she came back and decided to retire. Right. You know, Bob Iger over at Marvel, he's moved over to executive chairman and he stepped down from CEO. He's still there until the end of December. You know, it's not we're walking you out the door. Right. So uh, there's a lot of people that are wondering behind the scenes what happened. Uh now, Rich Johnston. I have theories. Well, there are theories out there. Rich Johnston, and I don't have any respect for Rich Johnston as a journalist. I think he is an ambulance chaser and a rumor monger. Uh, more than, and, and he probably makes up as many rumors as he as he reports from other sources. But uh, that's my that's my opinion and impression of the band. Don't don't uh, not slinging arrows or anything here. But I think he's a. I think he's a terrible person overall, just in, in a general sense. But his his site, Bleeding Cool, was reporting the rumor that DiDio was fired by Warner Brothers for creating a, a, a poor work environment. Uh, and it said poor work environment, not hostile work environment. Um, that came later with the rumor that Scott Snyder somehow had something to do with DiDio getting fired. Now, Snyder has since denied that. Uh, but he does acknowledge that he's had some quote-unquote nuclear-level arguments with Dan DiDio over the years. This was uh, not a secret, by the way. Not a secret. And a lot of it had to do, in recent times, had to do with the new Death Metal in, uh, series that he's working on. I think he's working on it with Greg Capullo. And not wanting that to have anything to do with 5G. Snyder, Snyder has been pretty traditionally very protective of his books when, so when New 52 happened, Snyder was like, okay, that's fine, but yeah. I've got my stuff over here and I'll, I'll look in your general direction from time to time and go, okay, that's a thing. I'm telling my story over here. Yeah, and, and out of all of those out of all of those um, New 52 stories, 
the Batman stuff was the stuff that changed the least. And, you and that know, was and that was a legitimate. I mean, that was a thing that Snyder was like, "That was by design." You're going to have to fire me to get this to stop. Yeah, and, and I I would imagine they probably would have if his stuff had not been so well received. Right. Oh, I no I think everybody loved what he was doing. Um, most people, well. Traditional fans, classic fans, legacy fans hated New Fifty Two. Um, gave it a shot, didn't like it. You know, it's like that horse from Ren and Stimpy. No, sir, I don't like it. And we want our old continuity back. And it was a fight. It was a long time. And even recently, when DC started doing the reprints and publishing those, and and. They're back on the newsstand and selling in the comic book shops. And I don't know. I think maybe they were putting some in Walmart. Um, but basically reprinting classic issues of runs from Silver Age and Golden Age and, and that kind of thing. And Didier was in there at conferences and Q&As at, at Comic-Cons. And he was expressing surprise and dismay that those were selling better than the current stuff. And you've got everybody out here saying, well, it's better because your current stuff is junk. We don't want the current stuff, you know, in a, in a general sense. You know, you look at what uh, – you look at the sales numbers of a lot of these stuff over on Comicron, nothing's selling. You know, Tom King got taken off of the Batman run because, A, people were complaining about Tom King's work on the Batman. B, his books weren't selling. And the numbers were just going down and down and down and down and down. And you, the the rumor now that Snyder had something to do with Didio being fired over 5G, well, we still don't exactly know what 5G is even. Uh, yeah, I, so for the folks who don't know, 5G was this new initiative that was supposed to run out. And we'll get, we'll get more into in, uh, to Dan's history with DC because I think it's important context. But... 5G was this. The rumor is that 5G, and this is let me emphasize that the rumor is that 5G was going to basically be about the same level as going from the golden age to the silver age. Basically, your legacy characters, no, your the the characters who we all know, Bruce Wayne's Batman, mm -hmm. uh, Clark Kent, Kal El's Superman, Diana Prince's Wonder Woman. Um, uh, any version of the Flash, <clears throat> you know, Barry Allen or Wally West or whatever. Um, much like we went from, you know, uh, uh, you know, the Jay Garrick Flash, right, uh, to the you know the Barry Allen Flash. It was going to be this is going to be the next generation of, of heroes. These are the right. folks who are going to pick up the mantle well, of and the Batman or Superman or the Flash or Green Lantern. Yeah, the other part of that is that 1G, and G stands for generation, so generation 5 or 5th generation or whatever. So 1G was going to basically reset all of DC's continuity so that Wonder Woman was now going to be the first superhero instead of Superman. Which would align with the DC uh, cinematic universe with Wonder Woman emerging during World War One. Right. So, so not not completely out of you know, 
out of left field in terms of aligning things with their maybe closer to their the the, the cinematic stuff that's working. But so this is the rumor. We don't know this is what is was going to happen, <laughs> but this is this is the story that has emerged. And you can imagine with that coming out that people were going to sit there and go, but wait. Yeah. Did we not just go through recently, way too recently, uh, for too long, an attempt to essentially reboot this entire universe and you want to give us a different reboot? Just now? Just just when we got rebirth back, when we got we got a lot of these classic characters aligning more to their stuff, returning well, to the pre you know the pre fifty two. Yeah, and with movie. Jeff Johns uh, transferring over and starting his own film shingle, no longer working on rebirth, and some people, uh, I I have read some people have made the claim that Didio was not a big fan of rebirth and. Well, based it, on what we know, it fizzled because he wasn't behind it. Now, I don't know if there's anything to that. I don't um, know that I necessarily say that it fizzled, um, in the sense that it brought back a lot of the characters that people wanted to bring back. It's it accomplished in many ways what it set out to do. Yeah. Whether or not that whether or not that turns into sustained sales is another thing, because that's one of the things you have to bear in mind when it came to what Didier was doing over the years. He started with DC. Uh, what, 15, 16 years ago? Almost 20 years ago? Yeah, something like that. And, and of course, if you cast your mind back to the early 2000s... Um, God, we date ourselves when we do that. We set it up with the Scooby-Doo thing. That's right. So, you know... We cannot escape the it's whole thing. Uh, Chekhov's do. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at the out of the 80s and uh, early 90s, DC had had the crisis on infinite earths and the yes. repercussions of that. Okay, and this was a major reset of the DC universe. This was this idea that their continuity had gotten so complicated, it needed to be simplified, made cleaner, streamlined. Everything exists in one universe. This didn't quite work, but um, it led to, a, a, in many ways, you know, DC finding a new footing and doing some really cool titles came out of that. Now, this was not this, Dan Didio was not Didier was not behind this, right? Um, no, Ninety four, Jeanette Kahn and was Paul Levitz there at the time? I want to say he was, I but I don't know. Was, you know. I can't remember. But it was Jeanette, it was Jeanette Kahn, um, or was it Dick Giordano? Oh goodness, I don't remember. I don't know. But um, the books, the the crisis itself was um, George Perez on art, Marv Wolfman, and Marv Wolfman, yeah. and uh, Len Wein. And that it's it's a it's amazing piece of work what they had to do what they set out to accomplish, and how much of it they actually accomplished. Right. I mean, there were certainly, you know, things that didn't work. I mean, Hawkman's continuity was so snarled for years because, <laughs> and you know the in fact in fact honestly the current Hawkman series that DC is putting out is the first Hawkman series I think they finally got it right 
with dealing with the fact that there are so many contradictory things here. Yeah. The new one sits there with, we know, let's lean into it and figure out how it works. And it's been kind of interesting. Um, so but then you get 94, you got the next crisis, zero hour, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, um, this is, okay, so Crisis on Infinite Earths kicked off a thing in the industry for good and for ill, much yes. the way that Watchmen kicked off a thing in the industry, uh, The Dark Knight Return kicks off a things, thing in the industry. These seminal titles, these things that change how we look at comic books. Um, you saw things like the uh, Mouse graphic novel that made people sit there and go, wait a minute, comic books can be literature. You know, things that change the way we look at the medium, Yeah. right? So Crisis did that. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, how do we do the next crisis? What do we do to impact audiences the way that you do? And to give DC credit, um, Zero Hour was small C crisis. And it was not a let's change everything. Uh, right. It was just it was an event that happened throughout right. all of the different titles. And I, right. I remember at the time when Zero Hour came out and then we had uh, Armageddon 2001 and War of the Gods and all of those. Inva before that, I think Invasion was Invasion, before that. And yeah, all of these different events, these crossover events, mm -hmm. you had the main through line of the idea of the story and then you have all of these ancillary sideline things. So you had to buy, if you wanted the entire story you had to buy all of these other comic books, all these titles that probably you never had bought. And from a marketing standpoint, I can understand exactly what they were doing. It was like, hey, we we need people to buy, you know, Dial H for Hero. Well, let's put a let's put a piece of the crossover in, so people will read that book. And the hope was people pick up the books that maybe they're not reading. And to some degree, it worked. To some degree, yeah. In some other cases, maybe it worked a little too well because the 90s were rife with events. Yeah, but you didn't get your real big... And this is a this was definitely a Dan DiDio thing, right? In, in Identity Crisis comes along. Oh, yeah. And Identity Crisis is another one of those titles that had a major impact on the industry, not in the, the way that I think anybody was hoping for. Because what they tried to do, if, if, you, if you look at Identity Crisis from the outside in and go, and someone sat there and go, okay, so our su major DC superheroes have to get together to solve a murder of someone that they care about. You know, the premise is, the premise is actually an interesting idea. Sure. And I think a lot of people up until a certain point in the comic were on board. Then there comes a point in the comic, and I'm not, I guess not spoilers for a you know, comic as old as that, right. that maybe you didn't read, maybe you want to go back and check it out. But some things happened in that comic that a lot of people sat there and went, whoa, wait, what? Yeah. Hang on. And then another thing happened in that comic that made you go, no, wait, what? Really? And uh, it had a reaction with fans. And, and for good and for ill, that comic series had an impact 
And I think in many ways that was, that might've been, that, that was like the, you know, the dealer giving the first free hit. Yeah. Uh, because suddenly you look at what happens after uh, identity crisis and under Didio's leadership and you start noticing a trend. <laughs> and that is every couple of years, there's a crisis. Yeah. It's, and, it's funny because in Identity Crisis, there's a scene um, that that calls back to uh, an, an event in the Justice League title from mid to late 70s, early 80s. Right. And it was funny because I was reading I was reading the story and we get to that scene where um, the heroes and villains have body swapped. And it's a it's a brief moment, but I thought I have that comic book, mm-hmm. you know. And it was it was a nice little touchstone to everything else. And then, of course, yes, you get body slammed by what happens later in the book, in a couple of different places, right. and it does it does have an impact. But but did did Identity Crisis come out? I'd have to. Look, I didn't think to look this up. Did it come out before or after Killing Joke? I want to say after. they came out at the same time. No, Killing Joke was before. Killing Joke was definitely before two thousand and four. Because Killing Joke, I think, gave us a seismic shift. Because yeah, more. Um, uh, uh, yeah, no. Um, and not ju- not just because of of what happened to Barbara Gordon. But, Warren, but the tone. Alan Alan Moore was out of the industry by then. He was yeah. out of the mainstream industry by then, um, and um, um, while you're looking that up, Robert in the chat says Tom Keane took the fun out of a brooding, violent vigilante Batman. You know, I I gotta tell you, I. I I haven't read King's Run. I've seen a lot of people critical of it. It's not uh, my favorite Batman run, but I'll tell you what, it's not I I never quite understood the hate for it. Well, I, I think it wasn't my favorite run. I, I mean, I think I think it was exacerbated by the bait and switch of the wedding issue in 50. That that I can definitely understand. And Especially since it was spoiled. No. by the major media outlets because DC told the major media outlets, hey, here's what's going to not happen. Yeah, don't yeah. do not do the thing, guys. Um, <laughs> don't do not do that. Yeah, I mean, but it's just, I mean, there were, yeah, it's not my favorite run. I, I, I definitely, I'm not going to, you know, sit there and go, but it was great. Eh, it was all right. Overall, I thought it was all right. It never, yeah. it never, it never, um, Killing Joke was 88. 88. Oh, wow, I was a senior in high school. I went, it, uh, it, yeah. So, <sighs> but yeah, I mean, you look at you look at um, you. So yeah, that that there the late eighties. Well, in the late eighties, have a lot of responsibility for driving the grim shoulder pad decade um, of too many th- people wearing too many sharp things. Yes, and pouches. Um, 
Lots of pouches for so many pouches and impractical pouches. Yeah, pouches that you can't put anything in. Did Um, you see? Did you see Rob Liefeld had designed a new character? I don't remember exactly what it called. I want to say they called it Pouch Man, but it was basically a character created out of all pouches. Has he ever learned how to draw feet? (laughs) I think he has. Um, and speaking of Liefeld, he had quite a few things to say about Didio's departure as well. We can get into that here in a little bit. Yeah, he, well, he's uh, and he's got opinions. Um, yeah. There is no question. Yeah, he does. But I think I think that you were you start to see in the two thousands um, this push towards DC having a crisis every few years, and and this was a Didio thing. This was a thing that he pushed for. Yeah, this was a thing that he got on board with. And and you end up with um, Infinite Crisis. Um, you end up with Fifty Two, not New Fifty Two, the comic Fifty Two, right. which was much much better received. Um, so it's like it's well, like it was new Coke. it was an interesting premise. Yeah, um, because at that point, um, that was after uh, the incident with Maxwell Lord, I believe, mm-hmm. and. Yeah. <sighs> I think to a point, to a certain extent, it was a a little bit of a recognition that maybe the comics had gotten a little too dark. That maybe it was, okay, Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman are not quite the the shiny, well, not in Batman's case, but, you know, that, that clean line definition hero that we expect and you know Batman be Robin Batman and Robin taught us that a shiny Batman is not good no <laughs> no no and and in, hopefully in more than one way <laughs> and hopefully Matt Reeves will not uh, will not repeat repeat that mistake I don't I, I don't think we're gonna, it does not appear to be no. the case no I like the new Batmobile I do too I, I, think, it's nice, cool. I think it's a nice visual uh, uh, throwback and and I I know that the new suit looks a little odd to us now, but I also, anytime I see a new Batman anything, I think to myself, ah, remember how people thought about Michael Keaton? Mm. And and you just had... And Heath Ledger. You gotta think, yeah, you gotta think about this stuff. It's like, okay, guys, just wait and see how it actually looks, right? I mean, you know, promo promo pictures and teasers, uh, blah, blah, blah. Ignore that stuff. It's not. That's not what matters. Um, but yeah, so you end up through the stuff through the two thousands, and of course we're in twenty twenty now. But you know, twenty fourteen. That was sixteen years ago. In those sixteen years, we have had you know, starting in twenty four two thousand and four, uh, uh, zero hour. I'm sorry, zero hours was ninety four. Uh, identity crisis, and from identity crisis, we've had all of these other things happen, leading up through fifty two countdown. Uh, countdown to fi- or, or countdown to final crisis, which did not end up being the actual countdown to final crisis because of scheduling issues. And then you had final crisis. That's two thousand and eight. Yep. Twelve years ago, final crisis was twelve years ago. This is stuff that you know. That's all these big seismic changes and and big event issues, all happening in a very short period of time. And you see how this can impact, this can drive your sales. But the question is, is it sustainable? 
I would say that it's not. I mean, it proved to be not because Marvel continues to go down that road and do a bunch of event books, even though the sales numbers aren't there to justify it, even though fans have come out and said, we don't want this. I mean, 2020, there's five different events coming from Marvel. And everybody else is talking about dialing back. It's a drug. I think it's. I think it ends up being a drug for these because these, in a way, because on a creator level, you get to do some really cool things. Someone yeah. comes along to you. Comes along. You know, we get we get things like New Fifty Two, and someone comes on along to you and says, "I want you to give me a fresh take on Superman." If you're a writer or an artist, and someone offers you this, and you feel like you can do that, right? I mean. You would do it. I mean, you would. Yeah. It's at the same time, though. If I'm an editor at DC, and I, I'm way too old to be an editor at DC, clearly. But if I'm an editor at DC and somebody comes to me and says, "I want to put Superman in a short sleeve T-shirt and jeans, and a cape," I kind of look at him for about five seconds, blink, blink, blink. No, because no, it's not. No, you wouldn't, because as an editor, you'd sit there and go, "You've got a minute to pitch me on <laughs> Convince this. me, yeah. Sell me. Give me your elevator pitch, because if it's a great one, and I'm not saying that it was, because I don't think it was, but no. I think that if you've got that story and you can make it work, then do it. I mean, well, you, and you, you and that be- particular story, you look at what was going on, and and this goes back to Didio. Um, the reason George Perez left DC was New 52 was the fact that the the Superman book he was working on had to somehow fiddle and fit and mesh with the continuity of the other uh, action comics, which was set five years earlier, and it was been written by... Um, Oh crap! What's his name? Um, I don't remember. Bald. Um, Did I wrote down. Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison. Yes, thank you, oh. Grant Morrison. Um, and Grant Morrison wouldn't tell anybody what he was doing. Which, which the thing is, is that if you hire Grant Morrison to write for you, you should know he's not going to do that. I know, this but you end. should also you should also make a plan and say, okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna have anything that ties in with anything that Grant does because you don't know what he's gonna do. But to put well, him on a Superman book and have the other Superman book be connected to it in some way, it's kind of a dumb idea. Well, and I think that I think this is one of the things that that a lot of people internally at DC were frustrated with overall was because you know the deal brought in a lot of great talent over the time he was there he brought a lot of fantastic writers and artists to dc mm-hmm. he hired a lot of great people in some cases he gave them too much freedom and in some cases he micromanaged them into the ground yeah um he was he was known for having opinions that he would let you know what they were which is fine except that some of his opinions um he would end up with like pet hates so for years he wanted dick grayson dead he wanted wally west dead he wanted these characters gone um the the heroes in crisis series um that 
in retrospect, appears to have been very, very heavily editorially tampered with. Successful yeah. or not, however you feel about the title. And I think it's got some pros and some cons. I, the neat idea, I don't think, I'm not a big fan of the execution. It's how things work sometimes. But there seems to have been a lot of editorial in, uh, interference there. No. Wasn't Tom King writing that one? Um, I can't remember if it was King who was writing it. I think it might have been King who was writing it. No. Um, but apparently, and again, this is this is rumor mill, scuttlebutt, take it with a grain of salt. Like everything part else. The, part of the reason that you end up with, spoiler alert for the series, with Wally West as a murderer is because the deal was like, this is what I want. Yeah. Now, how true that is, again, grain of salt. But the thing is that that actually wasn't attitudes of his. So it's really easy to, to, to sit there and say, well, this is what happened. Because he was not shy about his opinions of certain characters, which is fine. You don't have to like Nightwing or Jason Todd or Barbara Gordon or Lois Lane or the Joker or any yeah. of these characters. You don't have to like them. That's fine. You can sit there and go, God, this character is played out. Let me give me a new version of it. Okay, fine. This is all perfectly acceptable behavior for somebody running a business, right? Right. However, um, you ended up with like these conflicts between like him and Jeff Johns um, or Snyder, and you would sit there and they'd hit against each other, um, you know, creatively, and that's not a great environment. Which seems to have been, I mean, the idea that it was a you know, a, a not a great work environment. Well, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Well, I read, um, was, oh, I don't even remember where I read it, that somebody had got no, um, no, that, it's, it's gone now. Because I'm not remembering it right and I don't want to mischaracterize it. Um, but the environment there, uh, the word is, it was not happy, and and we talked about this, uh, you know, at the at the beginning of New Fifty Two, the whole editorial interference thing with Batwoman, and you know Dan DiDio issuing the mandate that our our heroes can't be happy, you know, yeah. there you know no marriages, no relationships, you know, break them up and and make them unhappy, and I thought that's a that's a throwback, that's. That's grimdark. That's Dark Knight Returns. That's well, uh, Killing Joke. That's all of these different things. And you know, again, the crisis element of that, where you your your heroes always have to have the bad things going on. They can't be happy, and and that's not normal. No, and I think that when really one of the things that you get out of the successes of what what Rebirth has done well is that it reset a lot of that. Yeah. And so you enabled these characters to have, you know, however you feel about, you know, Superman coming back with a son, um, you know, it, it, this was a happy family unit, right? This was not, this was not where, it's, it was not angsty. It was the original, the, the pre-New 52 Superman and right. Lois Lane and their son, because it's been years, so they had a kid, you know? Um, yep. You know, it, there was happiness there. There was this thing, and it allowed this to, you know, this to happen. But the crises didn't stop. 
these big event titles simply didn't stop. Right. And where you might have, you know, Snyder over here going, I'm doing my own thing with, you know, Batman for a while. Eventually, he's not there anymore. And eventually, you mean Snyder. Yeah, Snyder. Yeah. Um, and you know the the people who are able to, I guess I don't know, run interference or or keep things off, keep enough control over the titles they're working on, seem to be shrinking because they didn't have the clout of say you know a Jeff Johns or a Snyder or, or any of these other folks. Right. Um, and then you end up with things like, let's kill Vertigo. You know, this, yeah. this line that has been running for, for decades. Well, on and those... to be fair, it was a hollow shell of itself at that no at the time it went under. And a lot of people blame Andy Corey for that uh, well, as, they, as the editor at that, at that, imprint there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons i think that vertigo went down but here's the thing is that they roll out dc black label which you know what it is it's, it's vertigo. vertigo the new time yeah and it's actually yeah. and, it, and you know what black label has got this you know there's some interesting titles coming out on black label and that's great that's fantastic you know what you could have done sat there and went hey guys let's make vertigo what it used to be you know yeah. and I mean, there's. It, but it's you have to have somebody in charge of Vertigo who actually understands what Vertigo used to be. That's true, but I think that it ends up being this thing where there has to be a new thing, yeah. right? I think that, I think this is this is a problem with with comic books in general. And you and I were talking before the show. Or just a reminder, folks: superhero comics are ten percent of the market. Um, if you go into a comic book store, you're going to see clearly many, many, many. You know issues that are superhero titled but if you look around the rest of the store there's a lot of other stuff out there yeah um so i mean yeah we, there's, there's Funko pops yeah <laughs> there's many toys for you to buy um well and see and that goes goes to the other thing i mean if if the if the books that the publishers are putting out are not selling and all we know are the retailer sales numbers yeah, yeah. how many digital, orders digital are there we don't know digital we don't know how many actual books are being sold to customers we know right. how much we know how many of the stores are ordering and when those numbers continue to go down on your prestige titles then the the expectation should be that the publisher would do a course correction they would figure out okay what are we doing wrong what are the what are the what's the feedback what are the customers saying and let's do an adjustment but instead they're doubling down on stories that people don't want events that people don't want variant titles out the yin yang uh, and comic book shops are having to rely on back issues and merchandise funko pops and games and but this is action what, figures and that kind of thing they're not the comic book shops are not selling comic books and we're losing them 50 to you know 50 to 60 a year go under for the last three or four years yeah it's 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 something that and the thing is is that there we had the there have been at various points there have been sort of retail implosions um and the comic book industry has been really vulnerable to that on the on the store level i honestly think that the course correction this is the course correction. 
5G internally seems to have been very, very controversial, let alone yeah. what whatever we know about it, whatever it turned, whenever the true story of 5G, 5G finally emerges, and we all sit there and go, aha, this is what it would have been. Um, it seems to have been very, very internally uh, controversial. Um, well, and we had, uh, there was a report, I think, what, five different editors left over mm-hmm. disagreements about it. Um, right. And then you, you know, the the Snyder thing. But then uh, you've got Jim Lee making his appearance at C two E two, and he makes the the comment. And I was really surprised that nobody asked him about it as a follow up in the Q and A. I almost did, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to tip my hand if if I got an interview later, right? Which sure, I didn't. Right, yeah. But um, the one thing that I wanted to ask him because it came out of this comment where he talked about that there's not going to be a line wide reboot that ages our characters and shuffles them off to the side. And I thought that's that's five G. He's talking about five G. He never actually said five G. Nobody right. ever asked him about five G. You know, they were not talking about anything like that. And he, he did mention, you know, some things that they haven't announced yet, stuff that's in the works. And the rumor mill is that 5G is getting completely reworked. Oh, um, I, I, suspect that, I suspect that is the case. Yeah, because... and when, when Perch came back from Comics Pro and the people that he was talking to up there, both on the retailer side and the publisher side, you know, he was getting told. Uh, and, and I... I'll try to see if I can get a link to that video where we're talking about it, where he's on Thinking Critical talking about this. He was told uh, that there's a number of revisions and resets that are happening now as part of changing up 5G. So instead of the line wide, everything changes thing like they were originally planning, it's just going to be an event. Yeah. You know, it'll be a crossover thing and it'll be a thing and it's just it's well, yeah, because I mean, there's 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 stuff in here. The idea of 5G or there's all this talk about hyper time and yeah. sort of bringing back this sort of multiverse kind of thing and playing with the multiverse thing, which is, you know, it all the hyper time idea was basically all DC stories are true. They all exist. Right. Right. And it's and this was during the period where there was one universe. And this was the thing. This was this was the sort of subtle way of trying to bring the multiverse back by going, "Oh wait, no, no, hypertime. It's not. It's not the multiverse. It's just everything is real." And mm-hmm. and I think I think that here's here's what you could end up getting away with if. And I don't know what's going to happen. Okay, I've got no insider knowledge. And we this. don't have any information from anybody. No, no. We still don't have an official statement from DC about Dan DiDio's departure. No, we do not. But I think what's going to happen is they're going to sit there and maybe give us, and again, we'll see if I'm, I'm, I could be completely wrong, but I think what's going to end up happening is 5G is going to come forward as a thing. Yeah. And it's going to give us this next generation of heroes, but it's not going to give us an impact on the long, you know, uh, there might be some impact on the, on the larger continuity, yeah. but it won't be a, you know, it'll be like, it'll be like having the JSA the JLA, and then Legion the next, of Superheroes. The next wave. Yeah, it'll be something yeah. in between the Legion of Superheroes and, and JLA. You know, well, and I think which is fine. If that's, that's a cool idea. Yeah, but if you're going to do that, and and a lot of th- one of the things that we were hearing was uh, teenage female biracial Green Lantern, and it's that that's how she's described. It's not the new Green Lantern. It's all of these other qualifiers, and then you have Black Batman. 
not Luke Fox as the next Batman, because Luke Fox has already been a Batman as part of Batman Incorporated. Sure. Mm -hmm. So there's precedent there. It's not Mm -hmm. just, you know, but it's the way everybody is describing these are in terms of the identity stuff, not the character stuff, which is off-putting for some people. You know, don't give me Black Batman just to give me Black Batman. You know, give me a reason for Luke Fox to wear the costume and I'm fine. Um, You know, Cassie as the new Wonder Woman, Jonathan Kent as the new Superman. So, and, and right now, Jonathan Kent is a teenager. So clearly some of this has to be taking place forward ahead of time when they're grownups. You would think so, yeah. I would think. Which, okay, if you're going to do that kind of a thing, or if you want to give me new characters, give them new code names, give them new identities, give me actually new characters, you know, because, and this is the other thing that Jim Lee was talking about, is is having the right creative teams on the right titles, you know, matching everybody up, and he says developing characters that are diverse and and I'm fine with the developing part because that implies new characters not just rehashing and revamping and rehashing and revamping and recycling and and give me the same thing in a different package give me a new character give me you know the milestone universe or um um the the wildstorm universe create new characters give me a new icon now, so no. here's here's the thing, though. I think I think that I think this is where the the tension lies. So there was a new um, uh, Wildstorm limited series, the Wildstorm, and it uh-huh. basically took the Wildstorm universe and it re it reworked it. And I thought it was really good. No. I thought it was a really fresh, interesting take. It told some of the big arcs of the original Wildstorm story. Um, with uh, with some interesting changes, and I thought it was actually an interesting take on it. I thought that was really really cool. And you know what? Not enough people bought it. Yeah. So you run into these things, and and so you run into this question of okay, we have Superman and Batman or Captain America and the Hulk and whatever it is, right? Yeah. You have these characters can never get old. They always we every few years we have to ship the year that the right. Bruce Wayne's parents were killed or when when the Kents found you know when when did when did you know, Captain America come out of the ice you know which which war was Tony Stark a, a war profiteer for you know right. I mean, you end up with this and and fans for good and for ill don't necessarily like it when you introduce a new version of that character that they like yeah Sometimes it works. You get uh, X, what, X-23? Right. X-23. And so, and so you end up with characters like that where Logan's, and, and then you can kill Logan off and have him dead for several years in the comics. Yeah, but see, the thing about it is, though, the thing with X-23, what makes X-23 work is not it is the fact that she's a clone of Logan and therefore a new character, not just let's make Wolverine a girl. Well, except that, for some people, that was their reaction. So yeah, but we still had Logan. So Logan sure. didn't get changed into well, a girl. But then, we had but a then, new character. Right, right. But I think you end up with whether or not that new character is going to have the staying power 
if that old character goes away. And that's in the writing. And that well, yeah, yeah, it, it is in the writing. But it also ends up being, you know, our some of your fans are simply not going to be willing. Some of them are. Some are going to embrace the thing. You know, if it is good writing, they're going to embrace it and love it. But some right. fans are just not going to let go of that original character. And there's nothing wrong with that on a certain level because this is the thing you're a fan of. And depending on what kind of stories you tell, you can use your legacy characters. Like a, a perfect example of this, Death in the Family, mm-hmm. where you ha- uh, where you have uh, uh, Jason Tide get killed because people didn't like him because he was introduced badly. Yeah, well. <laughs> and then you have the follow-up, A Lonely Place of Dying. You have Year 3, where they introduced Tim Drake. Mm-hmm. And in the in the prem the the prologue to the in the introduction to the graphic novel that that puts all these books together the discussion that was uh, ahead of that storyline was batman needs a robin fans didn't like the last robin how do we get new fans to like you know how do we get fans to like the new robin well the first robin has to sanction him the first Robin has to give his blessing. And so if you have those kinds of stories where let's say we're going to introduce a new bat character of some sort. I mean, it's not like we have enough as it is, but let's say we introduce a new bat character. Well, they did uh, in reboot. Uh, uh, there's a couple of them that, that are around in the, in the Gotham books now wearing costumes um, where you have, somebody else you know well dick grayson dick grayson wore the batman costume for a while he was batman damien was robin Mm -hmm. there was a story reason for that and bruce wayne was still there and bruce wayne was on board with it so that you have internal story pieces that say you know that tell the fans okay this is okay and you introduce a new character if you want that character to sell then put them in a book that's selling yeah. and work that character into storylines and then they launch out on their own and they do their thing. Robin got his own mini shots mm-hmm. because he did well. People responded to him and okay, let's give him his own book. Right. Yeah, That's how you do it. When you create a new character, you put him in a situation where fans are likely to respond to that character, see how he does, and and go off from there. I think you could, I think you could maintain the basic idea of if what we've heard about 5G is the case. You could maintain that basic idea is for, I don't know, let's, let's call it two months. All right, that's probably not long enough in publishing terms. Let's call it two months. Um, where the only books that are being published are this future version of these characters. Yeah. There's a time jump. You've got a, you know, 15 or 20 year or whatever the time jump is. And this is the new, you know, these are the new people in these roles. And you see what the, you see what people, how people react to it. And you say, okay, this character, they really like this new version of the Flash. Or they really like this new version of Green Arrow, or this new version of Green Lantern, or 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 you know John Kent as Superman. They like this. They like the story that we did with, you know, Superman basically going, "Go off, son, be the hero. I'm going to sit here with your mom." Yeah. You know, or or Batman going, "You know what? 
my knees gave out and I just can't do this anymore. And or green or how Jordan going, you know, I'm I'm off Earth and I'm not coming back. Earth needs a new lantern and, and all the other lanterns are away. You know, whatever it is, whatever right. the logic is. And then you sit there and see, okay, what do our fan which which characters do our fans like? And then shocking shock of shocks, find a way to incorporate them into the new con into the continuity. It's not the first time it's been done. Right. And when it's worked, when it's worked, whatever the whatever the comic company, um, it's worked well overall. And when it hasn't worked, it's been very very clear. When you try and shoehorn a new character in, um, you know. But the, it also gives you an opportunity to bring some characters maybe back to what they were, um, you know, pre New Fifty Two, who have not necessarily come back <coughs> into the rebirth. Yeah line um you know i'm um have we ever gotten I mean, there's there's certain batman characters who have never who haven't been brought back um or brought back in a form that was recognizable from previous to new 52 um you know uh they're doing some interesting stuff with wally west over uh in his own flash forward mini but the question is is where do you go from there and i mean there's this uh, Dan DiDio had a major impact on DC Comics. For a lot of people, he was the face. He was the publishing yeah. face of the comic, and he was very enthusiastic. And and yeah. and don't he get clearly me loved comics. Yeah, he was he was the big one of the biggest cheerleaders for DC Comics. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't put him at the same level as Stan Lee. Different, but different, different thing. Different yeah. kind of personality because because Stan. Stan was always the rah-rah cheerleader for comics. Yeah. You know, whether it was whether it was Marvel or anything, it was just comic books. And DiDio was DC. You know, yeah. DC's great. You know, he's in, and yeah, he did take the slings and arrows when people didn't like what his writers were doing. He was basically the one to sit there and go, "Okay, that's on me. I'm I'm the I'm the publisher." Um, now I've seen a number of, of stories coming out from writers who basically sat there and said, you know, if mistakes got made, whether they were his or not, he took responsibility for them because he's the boss. Yeah. And that's what your boss does. That's, that's what you do when, when you have a team that you, that you've got to support. And, and, you know, if they're going to try something, if it works, it, okay, great. If it doesn't work, then, okay, we figure something else out. Yeah. But the, the, the times at the conventions when Didio was sitting there saying that he didn't understand why people were buying the legacy stories, the reprints, over the new stuff, clearly shows a disconnect and not just with him. I think we see this with a lot of the professionals that are out there, especially the ones who are very active on social media. There is a disconnect between them and the audience. Um, I saw the other day there was a, um, uh, an analogy of you go into your favorite steak place and the chef insists on giving you salmon. I'm like, well, I don't want salmon. I ordered steak. So, no, you get salmon, and it's good for you, and I know what's best. And it was like, no, we're the paying customer. Give us what we want. You know, tell us the stories that we enjoy. And it's not, you know, not necessarily even about politics. It's just if you're going to tell me a terrible story, I'm not going to buy your book. 
Right. You know, it's why Tom King's not doing Batman anymore. I mean, he gets his own little Batman Catwoman thing so he can finish out his story. But his run was supposed to be 100 issues. Yeah. And they pulled him off early because his book's not selling. And that's a business decision. It's not politics. It's not ideology. And it's that's how it should be. Your book isn't selling. It gets canceled. Do something else. Come up with something else. And and the fact that the entire industry outside of Marvel is recognizing that there's too much material out there. They're all pulling back. They're all deciding they're going to cut the line and not publish as many books every month as they have been. That's a smart move. I think you, you've got this glut of material that's out there and, and – with the Wildstorm type of thing or a Milestone book or, you know, something from Image or something from Alterna. I mean, Alterna is putting out some good stuff, but nobody knows about it because there's 6,000 Marvel books on the shelf and they don't get through any of that. Where's the other stuff? You know, and, and DC is not quite as guilty, but just as guilty because doing all the crossovers and the events and the crossovers and the events. And what was it? The, the deal promised coming right out of New 52 when it launched is that they weren't going to do any crossovers. They weren't going to do any events. And then here comes Court of Owls. Well, and I think that, but the problem with something like Court of Owls is that an event within a title is just something you're not, it's really hard to get away from them. Yeah, but Court of Owls ended up spilling over into other titles, not just the Batman stuff. And well, it became I, yeah, a I mean, DC event. It was like, Dio, you just promised that you weren't going to do this, and here you well, are doing this. But uh, it depends on what he was thinking of an event at this point, too, because I think that, like I said, it's it's almost like an addiction. Is yeah. that once you get, once, once you get the big crossover, once you be, get the big crisis, you got to have another one. Man, I'm jonesing for a crisis. I gotta, yeah. I gotta get my fix, man. I gotta get my, you know, and 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 I and I kind of understand it. It's it's the it's the the problem. It's the blockbuster problem, right? It's the movie. It's the movie. You have to up. You have to up your game for every sequel, right? Right. And there's there's good things about that, and there's some real risks there, where you can run into things that it's like, you know. How do you how do you make things bigger and not sacrifice something else? Yeah. And mostly it's story mostly it's story coherence, um, or you kill off a beloved character, or mm-hmm. you do the whatever it is. And I think that you can see you can see how things work and don't work when you look at you know some of the big tentpole franchises that we've had. You know, you see things like, you know, the uh, DC trying to, to jump into the event picture too early with yeah. with what they were doing. Um, and you see things like Justice League uh, versus, say, the Avengers pictures, where you can see how, you know, the, the groundwork was built for one and not for the other. But you can sit there and go back, okay, how do you... And some, some series have some built-in pitfalls. The Terminator films... Once you get past the second movie, where do you go? Yeah, and they've and they've and for all their val you know valiant attempts to find a way to make it work, and you know, it's where do you go? How do you how do you go beyond we defeated the villain? Well, you have to bring the villain back, okay? But yeah, you know, and 
Robert makes a good point. Part of this is the birthday problem. How would a 14-year-old approach a Batman comic versus a 50-year-old who's been through 20 events? Right. And the thing is, is you end up with having to ask yourself, who am I writing? No, that's, that's the wrong thing. Who's the audience? Who is my audience for this title is what you should be doing. Yeah. Because you can have a Batman title aimed at a younger audience who have no who aren't carrying the continuity around and they actually are introducing a new one because they just announced that they're going to do uh, a new title and I can't remember the name I think it's Batman Continuing Adventures or Batman Continues or something like that that's set in the animated universe right. continuity and it's aimed at the the teen the level the younger readers well interestingly enough a lot of people may not realize this but DC actually put out a lot of young adult comics that kind of fly under the radar. They're not the big superhero titles, which for their for their share of the market are doing, I guess, okay. Mm-hmm. And have gotten rewards and things like that. But they're not like the, you know, they're not the Batman and Superman and, and right. Justice League. And so there's there have been things that they've been doing to tart to go after this younger audience, this these folks who are coming up in comics as opposed to you know, I have to satisfy the you know the 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 tastes of fifty year old guys in a or market collectors. Where, or collectors. I mean, because yeah. to some degree, you don't. It's it's a it's a challenge no matter which who you are in the industry, whether you're an indie publisher or a big publisher, at any, anything in between. Mm-hmm. Your audience is your. <laughs> How do you write something that is good for a 14-year-old and an 85-year-old? Yeah. Um, and an 85-year-old who knows all the continuity and a 14-year-old who doesn't know any of it. And doesn't and, care. And and find that sweet spot. And maybe you do something, maybe you do something like whatever 5G is going to turn into. Because Jim Lee is old enough and smart enough as a, as a professional. And I'm saying that based on his track record. This may not be the case with whatever happens next. No. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic from what he said so far, the little that he said so far. Yeah, I I have to I I'm thinking cuz some people were taking away some things that he that you know they're they're hearing they're hearing what he said and I think they're hearing what they want to hear and not exactly what right. he, he said. Um Robert in the chat says because of this channel I've been watching Batman animated series, Justice League, Batman Beyond and even Harley Quinn and actually enjoying them. Good. So I hear you enjoying them. Yes, that's that's very good. I think there there is there is room at the table for all of the different types of audiences. Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, that Harley Quinn's an example because Harley Quinn, the animated series that is written for adults, mm-hmm. does not invalidate in any way, shape, or form the Harley Quinn in the Batman the Animated Series. Right. They're right. Two, they're they're aimed at very different audiences. And you can have that side by side and and not not treat one audience like they're uh, you're not dumbing it down for one audience. Right. You're not expecting another audience. You have to know all this continuity to come in. You know, and I think that when you run into, you can run into some real pitfalls with asking your audience to know too much out of the bat. You know what? You know what I miss. Speaking of that, 
is how the comics used to reference other issues. Right, yeah. This reminds me of that time. Da da da. And then in the little box, you have a little asterisk. All Star Squadron number 150. Yeah, and but you know what? Oh, I need to go pick up All Star Squadron 150. It's a marketing tool and as well as a storytelling tool. It's like go tell, look, this is part of the story except, now. Except you and I are pre-Crisis on Infinite Earth readers, and so the problem was is that you would have every panel on the page <laughs> would have a little box in it going reference, you know, and that's that's an exaggeration, but and that was that was the concern is that there was so much continuity built up, and you can get the logic there, but sure, it's sure. also a little bit wrong. So example. And I know we're talking about different mediums here, but the folks who went, the, when a lot of the people who tuned in to watch um, the, the Watchmen TV series, um, you know, for a, there's the, the, the numbers tell you a very distinct story. A lot of those people, you know, did not read the comic book before. Right. And so they tuned in and they kept watching the show based on, well, in this particular case, I think for a lot of people, they felt the writing was good and the performances were good and the story was interesting. Okay. Sure. Which is which is how it should work. But you go back and you look at, say, you know, um, we had, what is it, before Watchmen, again, under Dan Didio. Yeah. Um, this was a failure in the line. And it angered a lot of fans because... It was how dare you touch our, our our story? Well, it was it was it, there was some of that, but it was also how dare you do this in the way that you're doing it? Because the the issue for those of you who aren't aware, one of the things the the rights to Watchmen were supposed to revert to Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons yeah. once they it finished being a selling thing for DC, and DC under multiple people. Can't, can't drop this completely on on, on Dan Didio or anybody else. It's it's been a decision across across time. Um, have found ways to make Watchmen in print forever. Yeah, and this is one of the well, reasons. I mean, that Alan if the Moore book sells, if the book sells, then they're going to print it. I mean, it, right? But it was it was a really. This is the kind of thing where. There was there was definitely a sense of of the golden not goose. Necessarily, well, not necessarily fair dealing. Yeah. With with Moore and Gibbons, and and again, it's one of the reasons that Alan Moore doesn't do comics anymore, or doesn't want his stuff adapted. He has other, you know, it's not the only reason, but but the decision to do before Watchmen was something that you know Dan DeDio was involved with, right? And it soured. It made it get left people with a bad taste in their mouth, um, and 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 on top of that, it wasn't that good. I mean, you know, it's it's let's make our let's let's upset the fan and then not deliver something to make it worth the pain. Right. You know, even things like Doomsday Clock, for all of its publishing history, the problems with its publishing. Every month, every time the book came out, <laughs> every, after the long wait in between issues. <laughs> You got a you know good artwork and an interesting story, and however you felt about the resolution of it, there was ambition to that, right? Right. And sometimes you would end up with this sense of you know does it pay off? Eh, maybe depends on you. 
frankly, I thought that I thought the you know the, the TV series paid off better with its resolution than the comic did. But and played played with the same themes, which was kind of interesting. Um, sure. But it's superheroes, right? So I mean, you know, he's he he made Dan DiDio made a mark on the industry, and a lot of it was not bad. A lot of it was not great. <laughs> yeah. Well, and people are still complaining about his, uh, his about his decision to hire Bendis. Yeah. Well, because yeah. whatever whatever is going on over there on on the Superman line with Brian Michael Bendis, a lot of people are not happy about. I haven't read it, so I don't know exactly, but um, people people don't like what Bendis is doing with Superman. Apparently, I honestly. Um... He's he's to me he's an interesting choice for Superman because it's I mean he's he he's can write superheroes he's done it before yeah but I tend to think of him more as a uh, I mean I think I, um, almost a mystery writer he feels more to me like somebody you would put on Batman or the Question or uh, really or Nightwing well you know this is. This is somebody who, I mean, he, I think those are better, better served. I mean, cause you know, Bendis has got things like, um, oh, for heaven's sakes. Um, cause wasn't he the, didn't he do, um, oh, for heaven's sake. Did he do the Jessica Jones run on, on Marvel Max? Uh, yeah. Um, he, but he also did. Uh, let me look at this up here because there's a bunch of titles um, yeah. that I think were. Um, so let's see here because I mean there's there's. Um, he did. Well, I mean, of course, he did the the a lot of the ultimate line stuff and yeah. actually some of the good some of the, not all great, ultimate line things, but some good things. He did some good Avengers things, um, but. Uh, so he did. I mean, he's worked on I mean, powers, obviously. Yeah. Um, and of course, that was a big, a big one there, which actually I thought was, and and that's a superhero title, but it was also, in many ways, it was a mystery title. Um, Daredevil, he did stuff, and Daredevil and Alias. I mean, these are, in many ways, these are much more Batman type titles than Superman type titles, right? Yeah. And. Um, uh, I think I, I was not reading Avengers when he was writing that, so I don't, I can't, I honestly can't remember how people were reacting to that one, um, whether or not people were enjoying it or not. But I mean, he's done a lot of different work, and there's no real reason, I guess, for him not to do uh, uh, Superman. But you know what? His uh, the event Leviathan stuff that he's been doing about the spy side of the DC universe. Yeah, that I think has actually felt pretty well. I think works has worked pretty well because it actually pulls together the more detective-focused characters into one storyline. So I mean, I, that's just what I've been, you know, how I've been considering him in my head. And other people can disagree with me, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine if anybody 
disagrees. But I mean, you're wrong, but no. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, and the other thing too is, is you know, we talk about uh, we talk about the the demise of Vertigo. We talk about decisions that Didio has made that fans have not been been uh, happy with. You also have to consider with the with the work environment thing, the question of Eddie Berganza. Oh, yeah. And, and the was... decision to keep him on staff for so long, um, yeah. whether whether that situation was resolved to everyone's satisfaction or not, the perception was DC is protecting someone who shouldn't ought to be protected because right. of uh, the allegations against him, and that uh, that apparently were born out and there was an investigation and and that it was dealt with right by the but way did you, you see that he and uh eric esquivel have come up with a new imprint i did that's not gonna go well and all i can say is yeah but you know that goes to the overall okay what is dc doing what is you right. know and, you know that well, and you know the outhousers hey you know it's been x number of days since dc did something stupid they've got a site you know dedicated to this kind of thing because of these kind of editorial decisions that was made not only at the at the group editor level but also at didio's level where he's making all of these decisions or he's saying something in public that kind of make you look a little sideways at him thinking okay what are you why are you saying that yeah. You know, what do you mean by that? And uh, you know, for all of the enthusiasm that he has about comic books, some of his editorial choices may not have been the best. Well, and that's a risk that you take when you're overseeing a bunch of titles. Right. And but, you know, I think that again, you look, the lure of the number one issue the lure of the big event yeah the lure of and and especially at a time when when numbers are not great for the industry especially when there are times when people when books are not signed the way that you would like them to sell um this is the 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 thing you can do to put a shot in the arm however short-lived it may serve to be yeah can be super tempting um, and I think that, unfortunately, if you just look at the track record of the stuff that happened, this sort of almost obsession with the next big crisis yeah. um, and the next big thing that we can drive sales with, you know, and sometimes you end up with some cool stuff coming out of that. Um, some people really like the, the Dark Knight's metal series um, and the Batman Who Laughs and all the stuff that spun out of that. I mean great that's fantastic yeah but um not not every villain not every series produces a great villain not every series produces uh, a lasting impact and or a good taste in your mouth when you finished reading it like you know a lot of people's reaction to uh, identity crisis yeah well and and that leads me to some comments here from uh nick barucci who is the the uh top dog over at dynamite entertainment uh he gave the keynote speech at comics pro and uh comicsbeat.com has printed the speech 
And at one point, you know, he's, he's talking about the ups and downs in the industry and the challenges. And um, it says here, uh, he, he's, he's talking about the challenges of the industry. Um, I've met, and I'm reading here, I'm quoting. I've mentioned that there are challenges and I've mentioned that we all need constructive criticism and ideas. I'm going to say something that may come across as too blunt, but feel it needs to be said. The overwhelming majority of retailers are communicative and are up for discussions. At times, there is a retail minority that are loud and equivalent to the keyboard cops, and they may not realize it, but they border on bullying. They prefer cancel culture over discussion and understanding and mutual cooperation. For the most part, from the both the retailer, publisher, and fan perspectives, this kind of cancel culture, as well as resistance to change, stifles experimentation and growth. Without experimentation, Marvel's Heroes Reborn would not have happened, which would not have led to Marvel Knights, which would not allowed Joe Casada to become Marvel Editor-in-Chief, uh, it w which would not have led to more experimentation like the Ultimate Line, Marvel Max, and the creators that helped usher in another great age of comics. Um, then he's talking about DC's Black Label and the different size and talking about image and this. But he says that the, you know, when fans, you know, we talk about fans reacting to Dan DiDio's decisions or, you know, fans reacting to any publisher's decisions, there's a back and forth that happens here. This is a transactional relationship. And sure. for, for many in the industry, it's hostile. And you have to wonder at what point does, does the, the higher ups, you know, does this hostile work environment, or does this hostile, you know, online environment or, or any of that factor into decisions to fire somebody like Dan DiDio? Or is this something else? Is this Warner Brothers and AT&T looking at the bottom line and saying, you guys aren't selling enough. You're not making us money. Things have to change. And... You know, and that goes back to the rumors about DC being sold off. You know, for for whatever you might think about Ethan Van Skyver, he's got people telling him, people on the inside at DC telling him that if 5G doesn't succeed, AT and T could be looking to divest themselves of DC. And they keep the characters, they keep the ownership of the characters, they keep the license of the characters. But like we're seeing with Star Wars, you know, with this High Republic announcement. The license is being spread out over everything, not just you know, not just Disney, Lucasfilm Publishing, not just Marvel, right. but also IDW is getting something. Del Rey is getting something, and now we've got now we've got Bob Bakish over at Viacom CBS sitting there saying that they're they're looking to sell off Simon and Schuster because Simon and Schuster is not their core. And what is Simon and Schuster? It's a publisher, and and Viacom CBS wants to lean into streaming. And here we've got AT&T and Time Warner getting together to go into streaming with this new Warner Media or HBO Max or whatever that's going to be. So the rationale between you know between the two, it's the same kind of thing. You know, AT&T could be looking at DC and say, "You're a publishing arm. We don't need you. We own the characters. Anybody could publish these characters." You know, IDW is publishing Marvel stories. It's it's not unprecedented, and right. and you know who who needs DC? We own the characters; anybody can publish them. You know, you can have Image 
if they've got the right idea, Image could publish Superman. You know, right. Alterna yeah. could publish Wonder Woman. Now here's yeah, and 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 the Motley Fool looked at this, and they broke down some of the numbers. Now, of course, DC and or, you know, AT and T does not give out specifics about right. certain things, but uh, they break these things down. And 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 from the article, AT and T does not disclose DC Comics revenue separately. Instead, it's included in the Warner Media segment, which also includes Turner Cable Networks, HBO, and Warner Brothers. Uh, DC Entertainment and DC Films are subsidiaries of Warner, and DC Comics became a subsidiary of DC Entertainment in twenty in two thousand and nine. Right, so it's buried. Yeah. Right, so Warner Brothers generated fourteen point four billion, or forty three percent of Warner Media's revenue and eight percent of AT and T's total revenue. Eight percent of AT and T's total revenue right. last year. Within that number, uh, Warner's Games, another segment, which includes DC Comics, um, generated $2 billion in revenue, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. With, based on how these numbers break down, Motley Fool is making an estimate here about what DC Comics is making. They don't have specific sure. numbers. It's a guess. Um, they can estimate that DC Publishing's unit generated about $300 million in revenue last year. Which, in the overall grand scheme of things, is not a lot. It is 0.2% of AT&T's annual revenue. So, um, Motley Fool's conclusion is that they're not going to sell DC Comics. um, Because they're not going to gain anything particularly large from selling DC Comics. They're not going to lose anything particularly large by keeping DC Comics around. Yeah. And the um, a sale or licensing deal would possibly weaken their financial business and connection with DC, uh, whatever parts they would keep or not license off. Um, and so they would say there again, whether this this is an analysis, this is a this is a, an opinion, sure, sure, and, sure. and, and based. Base your opinion on whether or not you think Motley Fool is worth listening to, and some people think they do, and some people don't. Well, they've got a track record. They do. So um, the idea is um, also that over time, the stories that you that DC Comics may generate might become the big blockbuster that generates a billion dollars, or you know, right. Or, 900 million or 500 million or 100 million which is still well, money that is, you know, we're hearing out. you know we're hearing rumors now that if the batman from matt reeves is successful then the trilogy that it could possibly set up would incorporate death in the family and we'd and we'd get jason todd robin and possibly to, to me that's too soon it, again, it's one of those things like you know DC hasn't learned this lesson yet with Justice League, where you you have to earn those moments. If you're going to if you're going to have a Jason Todd Robin, and if you're going to kill him off, then you have to earn that. And we haven't because we haven't had Dick Grayson in this continuity yet. And there's a long path to death in the family. You can't just jump there, especially if this first Matt Reeves, Robert Pattinson film 
is supposed to be what year two something like that yeah it's early on yeah i mean that it doesn't even make sense to be considering that story yet well and quite frankly um i would suspect that all rumors aside the actual folks working on the film are going we're not even thinking about movie two yeah come back to us when we're done with this and we've had a minute a minute to breathe because you know having worked on a feature um you're not your concern on the day or during the course of making that you have too many other things to worry about than the next movie yeah you're making you're making that scene that's yeah, as far good. that's as far as you know robert says he thinks jim lee's days are severely numbered if he was only good enough to be hands-off editor for years of decline, why would anyone think him capable of changing course suddenly? Now, that's a, that's a question that I've seen in a couple of places where people wonder. You've got Dan DiDio and Jim Lee as co-publishers. Jim Lee is an artist, and a lot of people think that Jim Lee has been wasted sitting behind a desk as a publisher. And some people have been sitting there saying, okay, well, how much of this co-publishing was DiDio and how much of it was Jim Lee? What did Jim Lee actually do? Because we were always seeing, you know, we'd see them together at the Meet the Publishers events. And, but the interviews and the stuff about the new direction or the next thing that DC was doing was generally Dan DiDio doing the interviews, not Jim sure. Lee. So uh, what, would, what is Jim Lee going to do? He's got to prove himself now almost. After all of these years doing the job, now he's got to basically start all over again and prove himself doing the job. Well, to some degree, yeah. I mean, that's just no, no question of it. When, when you become the face of the company, yeah. the way that as a sole publisher he is now, you do have to prove yourself. Because especially when you have a situation like this, when you fired someone and you let, and, and on top of that, um, the, you know, you would like to think I hear. Yeah, we hear. Yeah. Do you hear? Do you hear that? She is going nuts about yeah. something. Uh, but you have to sit there and think that the people who actually did the firing, yeah, sat there and looked at Jim Lee and said, "Okay, so you're it. You have but what? You've got a minute." Yeah. Give me your elevator pitch right. while you stay on. I'm going to let you vamp for a minute because this is not this is not normal for her sure. at this yeah, point. So no now, hang hang yeah. tight here, folks, and I'll be right back. You yeah. can do your thing. I can do my thing. <laughs> Whatever that might be. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Robert, it's a it's a good question, and we'll have to see how it plays out. Because honestly, he is he is going to be. In a, a huge amount of pressure to make sure this works, and hopefully, you know, for the for the comics themselves, for the things that we, you know, if, you, if you're a fan of DC Comics, you want this to succeed. Uh, you want good stuff to be coming out. You want folks to be producing good work and, and for things to sell. Now, I, I don't think we're going to see the the sales numbers like we used to see. The industry's changed, um, and. Unfortunately, there are too many places where you can find comics online for free. And no, we're not going to tell you what they are. Um, uh, it's, you know, support your local comic book shop. Um, but it's, it's a thing that happens. And um, it's just the, the internet. And, you know, so I don't think we're ever going to get those glory days of those numbers. Um, but again, we also saw that, that uh, you know, the, the folks who show up for the movies 
don't go out and buy the comics. So unfortunately, it's not a uh, there's not a driving the the different mediums are different mediums and people react to those different mediums in different ways. Yeah, Robert so says they fired the pilot. Why would he would keep the co-pilot? Maybe the right. co-pilot's better. Yeah, and quite frankly, maybe the co-pilot has been doing a lot more behind the scenes. And I don't know. I and mean, this is not. Yeah, is, we don't know. I mean, maybe maybe Jim Lee has been doing a lot behind the scenes that that we just haven't seen, and the things yeah. that have been working. Maybe he's kept some uh, editors and artists and writers around that who were planning on leaving earlier. There's a lot of things we just don't know. Yeah, we just don't know. <laughs> now to uh, to bring everybody up to speed, the dog was uh, uh, reacting to somebody walking their dog across the street and actually when i when i came back i realized that we had we had i had missed an opportunity here because we have set up the office dog cam and i could have just you know our interlude could have been office dog cam so let's see if poor planning on your part you know it's that's how it is right Sure. Um, so I'll show here is office dog with his chicken. He has had that chicken since we got him. It's a little stuffed chicken. So he's quite content with his chicken. So there are that. no current plans for, um, the cat cam. <laughs> no, um, they, not, they not here either. The, they end up on the desk often enough that uh, if you watch the show and and you happen to catch me, you know, if you watch watch Tartar Sauce or or Zompocalypse, well, Zompocalypse not a podcast, but I mean, if you if you see shows where we're broadcasting from or Good Morning Multiverse, yep, where, where I'm at home, uh, part of the broadcast, uh, you will get a chance to see my cats. I'm sure. Yes. Um, and you know, you if if these if these animals are going to continue to appear on camera, they should be properly decked out, you know, and superhero stuff merch. Hey, can, can you can you suggest a site where they could find superhero <laughs> stuff merch? I can. It's called superherostuff.com. And if you Random. have a if you have a an order and you're going to check out, you have a promo code that you can use sci-fi for me 10 you get 10 percent off your order uh when you do that and uh, robert tells me i think that they he had just signed up for their monthly box oh, nice. thing so we do appreciate that so um yeah but i don't know oh, the, the dc is in a is in a state of flux right now it's going to be interesting to see where they go um, you know, we've we've reached out to the PR people to sit there and see if we could get some sort of an interview or or a statement or something. But I find it's really interesting that DC has not made any kind of a formal official announcement about anything yet. I suspect that behind the scenes they are deciding what 5G is going to be now. That's what I'm hearing coming out of Comics Pro. That and that's what Perch are, was saying that they, that they were are going they are going to when they want to make their announcement about talk about the things that they're going to ask people are going to ask and they're going to sit there and say guys this is what it's going to be yeah and they want to be I think they you know and and to be quite frank I 
think that's probably a good idea. I mean, I would say so. Under the, if nothing else, under the circumstances, because a certain amount of what they're going to say is covered by HR law. Oh, sure. There's only so much they can actually say about why Dan was let go. Yeah. Okay. They just, I was an HR manager for five years, guys. There are rules, and they're not, doesn't matter how big their legal department is. <laughs> they're, you know, you those are they are rules that are there for a reason and they're there they're there to protect everybody right so sure. um there's only going to be so much they can say so what they're going to want that press conference or statement or interview or whatever it is whatever form it takes they're going to want to sit there and say here's what we're doing don't worry yeah we, we've got this and jim lee has been doing a little bit of that already because sure. When he's he's doing his his panel at C two E two, he's talking about all of the upcoming movies. He's very excited about the and, and officially calls it the DC Extended Universe. And I think that's the first time that anybody from DC has actually called it that. Um, you know, it's that's what it's been called in the media, and all the fans are calling it. But that's the first time that he's that, you know that's the first time we've heard it coming from a DC rep, and sure. you know that's still. You know, that indicates that all of this is still moving forward as part of that movie continuity and not a reboot. You know, Batman, you know, the new Batman movie is not a reset button. Um, it's part of all of this continuity and, you know, with Wonder Woman 84 and, you know, Suicide Squad and Shazam 2, Black Adam, all of those things. And he touted all of that as as the upcoming stuff he's very excited about you know he wants everybody to be excited about it um and then when he goes back to the to the snyder cut thing you know talking about that he he made an interesting comment and it was the question about the snyder cut was an entry point but it's it it kind of felt and and i could be reading into this but it kind of felt like he was taking that opportunity to address kind of like what um, Barlucci was talking about at Comics Pro and he said um, <coughs> excuse me he said sometimes there's a movement to sort of segregate the audience and kind of dismiss a group and say they're not the fans they're the people that like this or they only like that and I think there's something we need to resist Honestly, we need every comic book fan that's out there. And whether you want the Snyder Cut or not, you're a DC fan, and I want you to be a DC fan. And I have to wonder if if we're starting to see a shift where people are actually starting to realize that fans have the ability, and in some cases the willingness, to walk away from the product that DC and Marvel are making. They have to be thinking sure. about this, especially given how the indie comics, you know, the Indiegogo stuff, the Cyberfrog and Downcast and Iron Sights and, and Jawbreakers, and, you know. I mean, Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan are doing a, a book with Sylvester Stallone, you know, the, the Expendables Go to Hell that Richard Meyer is publishing under his stuff. It, it, sure. And it's blowing up. In, in, uh, you know. Yeah. Hang on, though, but we're also seeing some numbers coming in that showing that might not be sustainable either from project to project. It, and again, yeah, it might not be. But you know, a lot of these projects are on their third or fourth book. 
Sure, but the thing is, the question there becomes again, how long is any of this sustainable? And the fact is, we don't we don't have enough time to know. True. We're yeah. we're, in, we're in early days of this sort of thing, and it, if we can see if if a self publishing uh, uh, boom is something that's going to have legs, there's some there's some benefit for fans there. But the question is, will it? And we'll just have to wait and see. Well, um, and, and the other aspect of that is that you have people that are working at DC and Marvel and other you know image and and you know idw and all that that are looking at this and sitting there saying you know well they're making bank i should be able to do that too and and it depends on what kind of story you're going to do what kind of book you're going to put out certainly right but also also bear in mind that making bank often turns into uh, if you're a small business person that you may have made two hundred and eighty thousand dollars on your uh, uh, your project, yeah. But you now have to produce a book and ship the book and do oh, all the sure. things that you promised. Yeah. I mean, there's that, there's expenses that are involved in that. Two hundred eighty thousand dollars, which is a number just I pulled out out of yeah. you know that goes super fast. So it does, and and you know a lot of these guys are rec- are are acknowledging that it does. Sure. But at the same time, I have to wonder if the big publishers, you know. Marvel, DC, IDW, Dark Horse, IDW especially because IDW is sixty million dollars in the red. If these publishing entities are looking at these Indiegogo projects and wondering why aren't they buying our books, um, because well, they have know, this, you know, you talk about sustainable model. We've been printing, sure. you know, we've been printing books for well, you know eighty years. But again, you run into the question of is is what what are people wanting from those titles? I mean, yep. the, the, it's very—it's really curious. I mean, the and and I think I think it's 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 all it's really easy to sit there and say it's this or that. I think we end up with some nuance, and we have to bear that in mind. For example, you know, we're getting—and I don't—I honestly don't know what the numbers are, right? I, I I can't I can't speak to specific numbers, but like the Incredible Hulk title, the current Incredible Hulk title is radically different than what they've been doing with the whole titles before. And people are just praising it right and left. Yeah. Is that translating into dollars? I that's don't know. That's a good question. Well, I, I, that's a really good question. Um, but the thing is, is that it's getting all this praise because they're doing something different with the Hulk, which is great. I mean, praise, you, know, you want you want this, this positive feedback. Um, but the question is, is does that translate into dollars for, for Marvel? Yeah. You know, and these, the, we're, the, the Dreaming series under, it's under Black Label uh, now, um, you know, is the Neil Gaiman, uh, well, it's basically the Gaiman verse, right? The uh, Sandman universe, the Sandman universe. Um, you know, again, getting all kinds of praise for you know people are just saying this stuff is great. Yeah, is that trend- selling? Is it selling? And the question becomes, you know, what are whether or not people are spending money on the good titles versus you know they're maybe they're not spending on the titles that they don't like but are they spending money on the titles that are good well and the other thing about that is yeah if if not enough copies of the book are are being sold there's a threshold i believe it's forty thousand copies at the point where uh if forty thousand copies or more are ordered then the creative team starts getting royalties you know, you get your base pay for making the book, right? Yeah. But after that, you know, if you want any more out of it, then you have to be selling forty thousand or more copies of that particular issue, and not a whole lot of them are. So, you know, from a financial standpoint, 
you know, how much of a hit has the industry taken over the years? Because, you know, the question, the question of the retail sales aside, the, the retailer sales, the sure. orders from, you know, and, uh, and, you know, hearing some of the some of the comments coming out of comics pro people are still upset because marvel keeps throwing these events and all these variant covers and they're not learning their lesson on anything they're just right. doubling down on new number ones and new events and new this and new that and it's just people are tired of it yeah i think that i think the risk for the indie folks the folks who are publishing doing things like indiegogo and their own stuff is that their the, their challenge is to maintain the quality of their work and a reasonable release schedule, right? Uh, and and unfortunately, one of the things that that I know that that the on the indie side of things, one of the big traps, is that you don't have the infrastructure of a Marvel or even an IDW, where you've got you know the infrastructure to help you make sure you're able right. to hit your deadlines, um, and and produce the the quality that you want to maintain. However much you might want to maintain high quality, sometimes speed is the enemy of good sure um, well and, and and i'm i'm interested to see what because peter Samedi has uh announced alternate distribution mm -hmm. and the big challenge for the indie crowd whether it's an indiegogo or if it's just an indie publisher or a small publisher like you know like lion forge or oni press is getting the shelf space as it were at diamond you know, Alterna has problems with Diamond because Alterna is a smaller publisher, and sure. so you know, you know they've been they've been jerked around enough because Diamond doesn't care. Do you, you're not Marvel, you're not DC, we don't right. care. Plus, who's the competition? Who are you going to go to? So he's starting one. He's starting Alterna Distribution, and if the model is you know if if what he's describing actually comes to fruition. That could be an opportunity for a lot of the indie crowd, uh, both on the crowdfunding project model side and the smaller, uh, the smaller indie press side, to have a new distribution model that's not diamond. Yeah, and any, that any could have an have impact a, on the industry too. Any single time you have a single distribution model, uh, the only game in town yeah. is. Um, well, usually the only game in town is another way of saying it's a nice place you have here. Be a shame if something were to happen to it. Yeah, and I saw. Um, well, uh, and Mitch please don't sue me, Diamond. Yeah, Mitch and Betty Brightweiser uh, posted some uh, a thing. They have put together a new imprint that's coming out of their uh, the the Red Rooster crowdfunding project. And they're putting together this new, and I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it starts with an A, but they've been talking to retailers, just like Walmart type stores, and putting an end cap. They've designed right, they've designed an end cap to go in retail stores like Walmart or or uh, Target or that kind of thing, where it's this this cardboard stand up thing. It's a display. It's a, basically it's a portable cardboard comic book shelf. Right. And look, hey, comic books. Um, I saw a photograph uh, out of out of Comics Pro, a comic book vending machine, like uh, like Redbox. Yeah. And if if one of if if a publisher would lean into something like this, like say you go to see Wonder Woman eighty four, and 
DC has partnered with the local comic shop to put one of these kiosks in the movie theater and you oh, sure. come out of Wonder Woman 84 and oh hey look here's some Wonder Woman comic books that right. I could buy to read okay. how novel an idea is that and this is something that people have been sitting there saying this this the marketing synergy should have been there from the beginning yeah this is an opportunity that has been completely wasted. You are, you know, everybody is so concentrated on the on the movies and the TV shows and not selling the source material. And the and the comic book shops are dying on the vine because the the studios and the publishers don't care about the comic book shops. Right. Well, you want to make the movies. The, the return on the investment is nowhere near what you could have in a successful blockbuster picture. That's true, but you, if you think long term, you get uh, people. Uh, uh, hold on, think long term. I know, I know. You think long term though, but you think you, next season. You think getting, next year. You, you think next next generation. You're you're you have to. I mean, for all of the readers our age and older who have been collecting these comic books for decades, we're not going to be around all of you know. All, but a huge, terribly long time. You have to have new readers. Sure. And those new is, readers translate into new viewers of the TV show, new viewers of the movies. And, oh, hey, look, I've I've been a fan of Superman all these years. Come with me and we'll go to the movie. You would think that. But these are also people who I don't think recognize that there is going to be a superhero bubble at some point. Because that's how entertainment works. OK, the reality is the simple reality is is that there will come a day when the return on the investment for the superhero TV show or movie or miniseries or whatever it is, is not going to be what people want it to be yeah. enough times. It happened with the Western. It happened with sci-fi movies at a certain point. It's happened with romance films. It's happened with comedies. It's happened with every different big genre that people have leaned into. And this is what we got. Yeah. This was the, this was the, there are other films out of course in different genres but you know it was like the decade that was dominated by the romantic comedy, remember that? Yes. Okay, the decade that was dominated by you know the nineteen seventies seventies kicked off a super a, a science fiction thing. Before that, it was the western. There was the detective picture. This is the way we consume our entertainment over time. The superhero bubble might be years and years and years and years away. But it's going to come because we consume our entertainment that way. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it won't go away, just like the Western never really went away. All right. You know, uh, but at some point, maybe you're going to sit there and watch your superhero show over on HBO. But the movies, you know, um, I don't know, romantic comedies are back. Whatever it is, whatever, you know, whatever. Horror films, horror films, everything's dominated by horror films because, you know, they're, the, the horror, horror is doing great. So let's, let's, everything's a horror film now. Right. Um, you know, so you have to be prepared for that. And I think that that I don't think they are because they're not. I think the big studios and the folks, you know, the they're looking at these things and they're not thinking at it from a publishing standpoint by necessity has to take a longer view. Right. Because the margins are much, much smaller. And you have to think about things like reprints whether it's books or comic books or magazines and you, we saw what happened to the magazine market i mean it, it imploded with the internet right um funny thing i saw a story and i don't remember where i saw it the other day 
that VHS is making a comeback. Um, it would not surprise me if someone out there is trying to get VHS to be a thing. VHS is starting to be it's 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 a nostalgia thing like um, vinyl. You know, vinyl's making a comeback. You've got that younger okay. that younger but generation. Wait. I no, I, I kid you not. You get this younger <laughs> generation, and I don't know if it's millennials or younger that suddenly VHS is kind of a cool thing. You know, because and here's this: you've got this glut of streaming services. Oh sure. And we've even talked about it. At some point, the bottom's going to fall out about this. We, you know, Vi- we talked about you know Viacom, Time Warner, all of these people. They want to get into these streaming services. You got Disney Plus, you got HBO Max, you got whatever. All of these different things, and they're going to go the route of cable, where they're going to start getting bundled. Oh, no and question. And then eventually, they're not going to be as popular anymore. They're not going to be as successful. Then what do you do? Well. Right. As a, it's almost a, a reaction to that. A lot of people are going old school, and they're they're going back to VHS. I have in my closet a box full, and it's a big. It's one of the, it's like a big, big box. That, and it's full of VHS tapes. I have VHS tapes. I do not currently have a working uh, VCR, and I um, do have two actually. I um, and you know what? Um, should I come across one in a thrift store uh, and take the chance on buying it because thrift store is VCR? But I'm not going to go out and buy a new one. Well, I don't even think they make new ones at the oh, moment. If it, if it becomes a big enough nostalgia thing, there will be one. Oh, I'm sure. My dad, we we got my dad one of those classic turntables that you can plug a USB into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've got one of those. And I mean, it's a great looking turntable. It's it's a beautiful reproduction of the old style, mm-hmm. but you can plug a USB into it, yeah, and play music through its speaker system from the USB. Well, and the other thing too is, you know, the you know, that the the cutting the cord type of thing with all of the digital whatnot. You know, there's a. I don't want to say it's a backlash, but there's a there's a there's a movement sitting there saying, you know, maybe we're too connected, maybe we're too much online, and you know, VHS isn't. Well, yeah, and I think that there's something to be said. Well, the thing is, is that you, there, in most in most environments, your TV and your if you're watching something on your computer, you're not watching it on your TV, right? Right. And your VCR is connected to your TV, which means you have probably you're probably in in some sort of living room or den or or group area, and there might be a couch, and then yep. you can sit there with somebody else. I know, right? You got to be social. You can have friends over, or or maybe you hang out with your with your well, girlfriend or friend and and, now, and your husband or your wife or whatever. And to be fair, though, I mean, you can you can take your you know now that now that everything is connected, you can throw YouTube up on your TV. I, and I'm aware of that. But there still, are people who watch this show on their TV, which I yeah, think is kind of cool. But so, for example, here though, I've got I've got a 27 inch Mac, mm-hmm. you know. So I've got a I have a screen which is bigger than most of the televisions I watched through most of my life. Yeah, you know, um, the Mac, and this is my 24 inch, which is rather large. My TV is even bigger right yeah, right um but because i work from home because i spend so much time at home in front of I your watch, computer 
I watch TV in front of I watch my TV and movies on my computer. Yeah. Um, because sometimes I'm watching and I'm working. <laughs> Don't <laughs> tell your boss. Not how it's supposed to work. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's I don't know. I mean, you know, hey, like I said, I have a box full of VHS. I'm pretty sure I could pick at least one tape that'd be like, yeah, if this gets caught in the gears, I'll be okay, and put it into the the yeah. thrift store VCR. We had, um, uh, I've got a, a VCR TV combo, mm-hmm. and we were watching uh, Highlander, mm-hmm. and the tape, the tape has worn out enough that it just stopped. It just yep. is like I can't go anywhere. My ex-wife and I had a whatever. Uh, I want to say it was a wedding present. I, I, I'm not sure, but I want to say it was a wedding present. We had a, uh, and for the time it was a, I don't, I don't even know what the dimension store was, a fairly big TV mm-hmm. with a V8, with a with a, a VCR. And not a flat screen. So, not a, oh God, no, this is back in the day when <laughs> TVs were this thick, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, but anyway, um, in, in the divorce, um, uh, I got the futon and she got the, I think she got, the, I think I got the futon and she got the TV. Um, but by that point, the, the the player had broken. Mm. It was a perfectly functional television. Sure. Um, but it would have cost so much because they were built together to get it the re, to get, and this of course was back. This was back in the day, you know, when VC VCRs were relatively new or relatively new for the consumer market. Right. Um, you, know, you could still go down to the video store and rent one that came in a case that was designed to, to withstand. I think uh, falls from at least two miles above. Made, made and, out of a refrigerator, lead and line. Pretty much, and per, yeah, perhaps a, a small nuclear war. Yeah. Um, so, um, and you had to pay them what fifty bucks every. T- you have to give them fifty. Yeah, bucks you deposit. The deposit. Yeah, it's almost like it's you're you're carrying the football. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And and if you were ever mugged, all you have to do is hit them with it, and you can get <laughs> away because it was. Heavy. I think it's interesting though that people are 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 switching back to some of that stuff, and maybe maybe it's uh, maybe it's connected to uh, a lot of the frustration that people feel about being online. All of the social media stuff, the cancel culture, and the and the the irritation and the the lack of a filter is like you know I'm just gonna be I'm just gonna be done with Facebook and and Netflix and and all these things and and insulate myself a little bit more and do do here as opposed to out here. There's a lot of there's a lot of good things that that we can get out of social media. But it shouldn't be the end all and be all. Nothing, yeah. nothing should be the end all and be all, folks. Uh, it's a balanced diet. You gotta have you gotta have some personal interaction with your internet life. Um, <laughs> and you know, just like just like you should eat some vegetables with your you know your meat, or or if you're a vegetarian, you have to make sure you get the the right nutrients in there because not you know you have you have your body needs certain things, and in a vegetarian diet, you have to choose the right things to do that. No. You know, you got to figure this stuff out. Now that said, um, uh, on to give I guess things a relatively positive note, um, you know, Didio has been posting stuff to his social media yeah. since he left, and he's been posting pictures of spending time with his family, and apparently doing some traveling uh, and relaxing. I and, imagine he'll land somewhere soon. 
And, and but honestly, you know, I think if, if he if he feels like retiring, he's in a good place for it. For all of the concerns, for all the issues, for the things that um, you know, the things that you, that he may you know be quite rightly criticized for, he also oversaw a period of DC Comics where some good, really good storytelling was coming out. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's you know that that doesn't that doesn't make him the greatest boss to work for. Um, and that doesn't mean that, you know, he's a monster, uh, but it definitely means that, you know, maybe he's, maybe he's just not the guy for the job anymore. Yeah. All right. Well, we will leave it at that. We have gone just a little over two hours. So, um, we do appreciate everybody sticking around. And, uh, as we were talking about feedback earlier, if you would like to send us your feedback, uh, you can see on the scroll there, we've got an email address, h2o at sci-fi for me.com, or you can leave a comment. Uh, and if you are watching us live, we do appreciate all of the comments in the live chat. Yes, uh, and if you want to uh, throw us a thumbs up and share the channel with your friends, we would appreciate that as well. Every, every little bit of engagement helps with the algorithm. Sure. And I've got some ideas brewing that that might not even be a th- thing that we need to concern ourselves with uh, at some point i don't know i haven't i haven't i'm not ready to make that uh make that jump yet but uh, uh if you would like to support us uh financially and help us uh cover our expenses of events that we cover throughout the year we're getting ready to go to fan expo dallas we do have a subscribe to our account uh that you can become a patron uh, for us and uh, and help us out with that and uh, we've got our shopping list posted over there now so you can see what kind of things on which we would spend that money uh, and that's going to do it for us don't forget the superheroesstuff.com discount code and that will do it for us tonight Tim Harvey thanks for staying up late I, I, I'm, I'm dragging yeah, yeah. Get some rest uh, and, and uh, got an early morning. I have an early morning tomorrow as well. So yeah, I've got I've got all week. I'm going to be down at the Big Twelve tournament for ESPN. So uh, programming here might take a hit, but hopefully not too much. So all right, that's do it for us. Thanks very much for watching, folks. We will be back uh, probably next week with a new episode. Good night. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.